Let's take a minute and pray together as we uh, look into this passage together this morning. Jesus, thank you for your love and your ministry. Thank you for the way that you lived amongst us, that you uh, showed clearly who God the Father is and what it means to know him, serve him, and follow him well. Thank you for the words that you spoke to us, for the way that you taught. And I pray that as we look at this story this morning and we examine ourselves through the gift of your spirit, that you give us wisdom and insight, and that through your spirit you would form us to be more like your image for your service each day. Lord, we entrust this time to you for our blessing and pray that you would teach us. Amen. Is there anything more annoying than someone that doesn't deliver? And I don't mean a restaurant that won't deliver so you have to deal with skip dishes because they're just the worst. But everybody knows somebody that I'm talking about, right? Somebody who comes up short. The guy filled with endless bravado that always overpromises and always underdelivers. I've made it a core value in my life to always speak poorly of myself to other people so that even a mediocre effort will come off as a gargantuan win to anybody else that I encounter. Because there's nobody in the world who's going to get after you if you tell them that you're awful and then do okay. But if you say you're really great at something and then come up even just above average, everyone's disappointed in you. Because in the end, it's the results that people care about, not just the promises that get them there. So Jerry Seinfeld has been a preaching mentor for me my whole adult life, more so than just about any other teacher or pastor. And he used to have this bit about car rental places, right? You get there, you have the reservation, and no car. So, like, you would tell them, you know how to take the reservation. You just don't know how to hold the reservation. And really, that's the most important part of the reservation. The holding of the reservation, right? Because anybody can just take the reservations, but it's really the holding that makes those reservations worth anything. And that's the truth of it with any kind of deal that we make in life. It's the delivering on the promises, not the promises' words themselves, that actually mean anything. And speaking of promises, I can't tell you how excited I am personally for my third pandemic election in less than 12 months, right? An endless stream of empty promises and people trying to buy me off with my own money for the next three weeks yet. Nothing is as good for the church and its people as firing up the hostilities, judgments, and tribalism along party lines to all-time highs all over again. Because we didn't do that at all in the last 18 months. There is going to be 42 Facebook posts a day telling you who the Antichrist is. Right? There will be 97 Twitter retweets a day shouting the dangers of vaccines at you and 137 of them telling you the dangers of the unvaccinated. Because we're just inundated and bombarded with people's opinions and promises and expressions of their thoughts. And all those voices and expressions just melt our brains as they filter in and won't leave us alone. Now, the story that Jesus tells these folks this morning that we're looking at, the story of the two sons, 
tells us a lot about what God's expectations are. And it's interesting on a number of levels, I think. Both for what's included in God's expectations in the story, but also notably what's not included in God's expectations in the story. So what does God really want from us? It would seem like one of those base questions that we should all be able to answer if we're going to do this Christian thing, even adequately, right? In the Old Testament, God made a covenant with the descendants of Abraham, the Israelites, and he promised to be with them and bless them, but he also had some expectations of them that he outlined in what we call the Old Covenant, the laws in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and it was all kind of summed up, like the sidewalk edition in the Ten Commandments, right? that were in Exodus 20. Simple things like, don't murder, don't lie, don't cheat, don't have other gods before me. Like, it seems pretty straightforward. Not very unrealistic. But it became pretty obvious pretty quick that Israel wasn't living up to these standards. People kept trying, though, and as we read into the New Testament, we see these stories of guys called the Pharisees. They were kind of the most strict-living Jews of the day. The ones that were pretty sure that they were doing things the way that God wanted them to. So they tried and they claimed to live up to God's laws, but still they clearly failed time and again. And that's kind of who Jesus was talking to in giving this story. It was a story with a stick, right? In this passage we're looking at today, Jesus has finished talking to some of the Pharisees who didn't believe that he was the Messiah, but were scared to condemn him publicly because there was a lot of common folks around them that were very sure that he was the Messiah. And the Pharisees thought themselves to be far superior to all of these people, especially the base members of the society in their mind, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Though they were doing, they thought exactly what God expected of them, Jesus' story went forward and questioned all of that. So what does God want from us? As Jesus' followers, God's people... I think most of the people here would consider themselves today. We have pretty similar expectations placed on us by God the Father, like any other father would have for their children. And this is why Jesus tells the parable that he does. The parable of two sons and their interaction with their father. In this parable, Jesus shows what God the Father expected of his children. Right off the beginning, God reaches out for connection with us. It's where it all starts from. The parable starts out like so many of Jesus' stories. It was probably a beautiful, sunny day in the heart of Israel. An average farm, an average family, a couple of sons. Right in the heart of growing season, and the father knew that there was a lot of work to be done in the fields. And so, who better to do it than his two sons? So it says in verse 28 that there was a man who had two sons. And he went to the first one of them. Just like any good relationship, there needs to be communication, right? This back and forth of expectations and what exactly is supposed to be going on. So the father in the story had something that he wanted the son to do, and he went to the first one and he talked to him. Now, the father didn't expect the son to read his mind. At least not usually, because it doesn't work that way. Now, my oldest son is autistic. He doesn't read social cues that well or faces very well. He comes by it honestly, because I'm kind of the same guy. Now, I didn't realize this earlier on in my life until later, once Jen and I were married. And Jen and I figured out pretty quickly in our first year of marriage that I miss an awful lot of stuff unless it's spoken plainly to me, much to my chagrin. 
We develop phrases like, I'm confused. I don't know what's going on here. And I'm completely lost right now to deal with these situations that arose in our relationship. Now, those phrases still get used a lot in our household, and they're really important. She learned to ask plainly, because unless she asked plainly, she didn't expect things to happen. Not because I don't care, but because I'm dense. I just don't get it. God doesn't expect us to read God's mind. It's very plain and simple. Most of what God wants from us is plain and clear to see in the scriptures and in what Jesus said and what Jesus lived. Things like be loving. That has a lot of applications, but it ain't complicated. Be gracious. Be kind. Be generous. Be selfless. If you ever encounter a situation in which you could be any of those things, and you wonder, does God really want that from me? The answer is yes. You don't need to pray over that one. You don't need a prayer meeting. You don't need to read a book. You don't need to wonder and fast and see, is this really what God wants from my life? Now just do it. Just do it. It's plain and simple. Get there. It's not easy, but it's not mysterious. It's not confusing. It's not open to interpretation. If, though, what you're wondering about isn't clear like that, it's probably pretty wide open. And then you better get a lot of wise counsel and figure things out. Communication, though, with God is a two-way street, right? It goes both ways. Not only will God tell us what he wants from us, but we also have to be listening. That listening part is important. He has things for us to do, and he'll let us know what they are, and he expects that we'll be willing to listen. Because God gives us a lot of clear expectations. And what is it that the father told the first son? He said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. That's verse 28. The father had really clear expectations of his son, laid them out very clearly for him, and made it so he knew what to do. His being a part of family has a lot of benefits, but it also has a lot of obligations. And the father had work that needed to be done and two sons that could go get it done. So just like there's a lot of blessings to being a part of the family of God, being a part of a church, we're forgiven for our sins, we have relationship with God, we have the blessing of being a part of a church that cares for each other and loves each other. We can look forward to spending all eternity with God our Father. There's a lot of blessings there, but there's obligations that come with being part of that family too. God has kingdom work to do here on earth and as his children, it's our job to do it. Now, it may not be easy. It might be testing at times. But God asks us to be a part of his family, and he has work for us to do here on earth. Now, growing up in my family, we had a yearly tradition. Well, we had a lot of traditions. But one was wood day. It was that simple two-word phrase every year that broke me. Wood day. Boys, this Saturday, it's wood day. That's what my dad would tell us. And it's, it was a soul-crushing despair. Just comes head to toe, little by little, and seeps into the bones. Because we had this wood fire burning fireplace in our basement, and we loved to have fire burning on the cold winter nights, right? But if we wanted to have those fires, we needed to have wood to burn, and it doesn't magically appear. 
The internet didn't work like that back then. Amazon didn't deliver. So we had a yearly tradition of going out to a quarter section of our farmland for a full day where there was a lot of bush and there would be the cutting of wood and piling and so on. And it was pretty hard work. No one really looked forward to wood day. But when we were there, we actually generally enjoyed each other's company. I wouldn't call it fun per se, but it wasn't really bad. And it was well worth it because we knew the benefits of our hard work in the end and what it all led to. When my dad asked us to work, he expected us to do it. So we had these kind of things, right? We'd, we'd make our own burgers. That's wood we'd pile up, him with his chainsaw, me dragging my brother out of the wood after he cut his leg off with a chainsaw that day. Not really. But he was tired, right? Kids get tired. It was hard work. So I guess we could technically have declined, right? He could say, it's wood day. And we could say, no. No, we couldn't. We did find out out of love and respect for him. We did it. We leaned in. We said yes. When God figures to ask us something, it should work the same way. When he asks, we say we will, and we do it. Because if we say no, amazingly enough, it does not stop God in his tracks. God just moves on to someone else, and we miss out on the blessing. God wants our actions to prove what we profess because when it comes down to it, God is more interested in what we do than what we say. Not only does God expect that we're going to listen to what he asks, but he also expects that we will do what he asks. So in verses 29 to 31, Jesus explains that God expects us to act when he calls us to something. It says in verse 29, the son said, I will not, answered the first son. But then later he changed his mind and went. And the second son said, I will, sir, but he didn't go. So there's a really simple question. Which of the two did the father wanted? Well, the first, everybody answered. So when the father asked his sons to go and do something, he was somewhat concerned with what they would say, but mostly concerned with what they would do. It wasn't the son that said he would do it that pleased the father, but the son that actually did it. And did what his father expected of him. And I'll tell you, the last thing that anybody wants this morning is more COVID guilt, right? And I'm not here to do that. But I am here to maybe offer some perspective on lessons that we could have learned over the last 18 months of doing this together. Jesus' message, as we talked about earlier already, involves some really simple things, right? Love, grace, compassion, sacrifice these kinds of values. These are core values of the kingdom of God. Any message that puts personal rights and freedoms above seeking the good of others isn't the message of the kingdom of God. Plain and simple. If Jesus' call was, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants their life to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Strangely enough, personal rights and freedoms and seeking them don't enter into that conversation. If our actions are going to be the words of love, of grace, and of God, and wanting to be disciples, they're going to be actions that give, that love, that sacrifice, and that show grace, not ones that seek what I want above all others. Those kinds of actions come from the spirit of self and of empire not the Spirit of God. 
So when non-Christians wind up looking more Christ-like than people professing Jesus in the church, that's a problem, y'all. We've got some reckoning to do. The second son originally said that he'd work for his father. But then, whether maliciously or forgetfully, we don't know, he didn't do it. But either way, he didn't follow through on his word. The things that he said didn't line up with the things that he did. We need to act on what we say we believe, not just say that we believe it. Because it doesn't matter what we say in the end if our actions don't follow through on our words and do what God has clearly asked of us in line with the values of what are clearly the values of God's kingdom. God calls us to live into who he calls us to be, not be held by our past. One of the most important and comforting things to remember about what God expects of his believers, though, is that our past doesn't matter. The first son originally rejected the father, said forget it, and refused to obey him. But eventually he changed his mind and went and worked for him in the field. And which of the sons did what the father wanted and pleased him? The first. Everybody shouted it out back in 31. It doesn't matter what happened in the past. The father was forgiving, and he was merely concerned that the son actually did and eventually made the right decision and obeyed and followed him. And in the same way, God, our heavenly father, is forgiving and gracious. It doesn't matter what decisions we've made in the past. It has no bearing on our future. It doesn't matter what we've done, if we've rebelled, if we've walked away, if we've told him to get lost. God the Father is forgiving and just wants us to turn to him, connect with him, and work with him as he directs towards what we have in the future. Every decision in life is a choice for a new direction. Every day we face opportunities and decisions that come our way that let us set the direction for our lives. And change can be hard, like no question about that at all. I've been trying to lose 20 pounds for about 20 years now. I've tried counting calories. I tried protein shakes. I worked out like a dog. I ran, I biked, everything. I even tried yoga for six months. Good gracious, what a terrible exercise. <laughs> nothing worked. Like nothing. The harder I worked, the heavier I got. I always wound up at the end of the same kind of 210 to 220 pounds no matter what I did. And then in June, I was listening to a podcast with a health and aging professor because, hey, I'm getting old. And he said the simple thing any adult can do to improve their health and deal with aging is to stop eating breakfast. Kids need breakfast. They need their three meals. But as oldies are losing our metabolism rates, we don't need those three meals. Do you know hard, how hard it is to skip breakfast after 40 years of learning that you need it and developing a deep Deep love for eggs and toast. Amen, right? Do you know how hard it is to accept feeling hungry for five hours every morning when you know you could change that easily? But I needed to try something, and I set my mind to it and decided to make a change, and it worked. Like, I'm glad. Because I am not giving up cheeseburgers, y'all. There is no way. Burger King and Ice House Tavern out in White City... If you're listening today, I love you. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere, don't worry. 
It didn't matter if I was willing to say I would do something. It didn't matter if I believed that I wanted to be healthier. It didn't matter if I said I was going to do this thing about not eating breakfast anymore and then snuck food at 10 a.m. anyways because I'm hungry. But now I'm down 15 pounds in two months, right? Lean, mean preaching machine now, right? Ready to roll. Because it's what we do that actually leads to change. Not what we'd say we wish was different or what we say we would like to have happen that actually makes a difference. Now, certainly our past experiences and decisions come to bear on our current ones, but our past doesn't have to own us if we're willing to let the Holy Spirit come help us instead. No matter what life has brought our way or what we have brought into our mess from the past, Jesus' promise is that today is a new day filled with potential for a new beginning. Nothing is held against us through Jesus' sacrifice. Nothing is held against us through his example and the power of the Spirit that we can be freed from everything that seeks to hold us down. Nothing has to own us or hold us that God can't free us from to move towards newfound directions and newfound hope with him. Because following Jesus is a way of life, not a set of ideas. God expects that believers literally follow him and obey the things that he talked about. In the end of verse 31, Jesus explains in saying, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Now, the tax collectors and prostitutes were the absolute bottom of society in the Pharisees' mind. The Pharisees of Jesus' day thought they were far closer to God's expectations than any tax collector or prostitute could ever hope to be. But these down-and-out people were turning to Jesus for a new way of life in repentance and obedience, while the Pharisees were mostly talk about how great they were doing. Church, I tell you the truth. The socialists and liberals are entering the kingdom of God ahead of us at times. They've been the boogeyman in the North American church for the last hundred years, but in many times in the last couple of years, they've looked more like love, grace, and compassion than we have, and that's a problem. God wants our actions to prove what it is we say we profess. Because the people that truly do what God expects of believers are those who follow him in humility, doing what God asks, no matter where they've come from in the past. Words don't matter to God unless they're followed up with actions that prove it. That's what God wants from his people. The people of this world have had very similar expectations of Christians too, that they'll be people of their word. And we need to be so careful to be people of our word, acting, not just saying, not only because God expects it of us in service to him, but also because the world is watching us and we need to be people of integrity if we're going to be heard at all as God's people. Folks are far more interested in what we do than what we say. Now, the world over the last few years has been flipping that on its head a little bit more. Social media is a mirage of the opposite way of life that's all words over substance. It's posturing for peers and little positive action to actually show for it. The kingdom of God flies in the face of that, friends. Jesus needs better PR, and it's up to us to be the actions that do it. 
So let's choose together to be the people of God in the way that we live and act, not just the slogans on the billboards in the front of our churches. Because God wants our actions to prove what we profess. As God's people, we are given the opportunity to partner with God in the work that God is doing. Moment by moment, choice by choice. The blessing is waiting to be had if we're willing to actually act and take it. So let's choose to be a people of action, not just words and good intentions. God wants our actions to prove what we profess. Let's pray together. Father, you are consistent. You are who you say you are. You act how you say you will act. And Jesus, we thank you that for as much as it seems impossible at times to possibly live up to the expectations of the kingdom of God, the deep love, sacrifice, generosity, grace, mercy, and forgiveness that you showed show that your life truly lived out what you called us to and that it is possible through the power of your spirit. Lord, keep us from giving ourselves the out that we can't possibly do it when you've promised your spirit to be with us through all things to empower us for your work. Lord, help us to lean into the difficulties and not try and shoulder it alone, but to do it together. Life for the kingdom of God isn't a solitary trip. And we pray that you would help us to lean into each other to see what work you have for us together as a church in the uncertainty that we live in in our society right now, Lord. Let us be a place of stability, of love, grace, mercy, and kindness that others can depend on to see your love, forgiveness, and the hope that you want to offer them. Lord, may we be a people consistently of action and substance, ones that truly embody the Spirit of God in the way that you lived it out yourself, Jesus. Lord, we trust ourselves to your service and for our blessing and pray that you would continue to do your work in us to see your work done here on earth. We love you. Amen.